what is up everybody welcome back to another episode of the rewired soul podcast it's your host chris and today i have a bonus episode for you and it's with none other than claire lehman all right so check it out claire is the founding editor of colette and yeah uh i have followed her for a while on twitter but i don't know much of her backstory and everything but like she's very vocal very opinionated and i was like you know she'd be you know pretty fun to talk to to bring her on and uh and have a conversation with and yeah like uh for those of you who don't know who claire is like colette is very much of the mindset of you know just uh talking about some controversial topics as you'll hear in this uh conversation uh claire discusses how um you know colette uh kind of blew up and originally you know had some controversy around it when you know she voiced her opinions about you know modern feminism and some things like that then they got into some of the transgender conversations and you know a lot of things about like the culture wars and everything but one of the most interesting things about claire and everything going on is that you know we talk about this in the conversation but just uh you start to build a certain audience and when covid happened and you know people uh downplaying covid or people being against the vaccine a lot of those were people who followed quillette and claire was very you know uh of, of the scientific mindset just from australia so a lot of people say like they have like these draconian lockdowns and this authoritarianism and all these other things and and yeah so a lot of people turned on claire people who used to be fans so i want to have her come on talk to her about that uh we do cross over into a lot of the stuff that uh guys uh the guys talk about over on decoding gurus we talk about those kind of personalities but yeah i also wanted to ask claire a lot about australia right because a lot of us hear about what was going on in australia with the lockdowns and everything and if you're like me you're not in australia so we have this kind of like outside view so i wanted to hear like what's actually going on because from what i can see from what claire says it's like not that bad so this is a very interesting interesting conversation i'm super glad claire was able to come on um she is taking a little bit of a a, a twitter hiatus but down below i've linked her twitter uh she's i believe she said she's gonna be a little bit uh active on instagram still so make sure you follow her over on instagram and twitter uh check out the quillette um they they have a lot of great long-form articles talking about a lot of different topics and i'll tell you personally like uh they have a lot of things like i i may not agree with but it's good to see different perspectives and stuff and sometimes there is a lot of stuff that i agree with but you'll get a, a diverse range of opinions so colette's doing a, a great job and you know something that's interesting too that i i do ask claire about like is is some of the controversy going to hurt you know uh colette's ability to sustain itself as a business so it's a great conversation i hope you guys enjoy it and yeah before we get started uh just a reminder a uh, podcast schedule changing just a little bit make sure you're following me on instagram and twitter at the rewired soul so you don't miss out i have some episodes banked up i just finished my first week of work that's why uh podcast schedules changing a little bit uh, but i have episodes banked up might be going down to one a week but anyways if you're following me you won't miss out on any episodes okay and yeah one more thing before we get started do me a favor a lot of you have done this and i really 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 appreciate it i appreciate it so much but for those of you who haven't take two seconds head over to apple podcast leave a rating leave a review it helps me out it helps with the algorithms push the podcast out to new audiences everything like that and i like reading your feedback and everything like that so head over to apple podcast even if you're not listening on apple podcast you can still head over there leave a rating and review all right but anyways without further ado here's my conversation with claire lehman the founding editor of colette Hello, Claire. Thanks so much for joining me. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me, Chris. Thanks for coming on. We've been trying to connect for a while and we finally did it. Yeah. So I am excited. So for those who are unfamiliar with the wonderful Claire, can you give everybody a little bit of, a, of your background, your history? Where, where did you come from? What are you doing now? Okay, so I'm the founding editor of Quillette. And 
uh, for those who don't know Colette, it's an online magazine and we focus on long form commentary. And over the years, we, uh, we've, we've sort of pushed on a few orthodoxies, particularly on the left and, um, have, have tried to have an analytical evidence-based approach, even to the most contentious of topics. Mm-hmm. Um, before I founded Colette, I was a graduate student in psychology who was doing forensic psychology, which is criminal Ooh. psychology. And before that, I worked briefly in Canberra, our national, our capital city in Australia. And I worked for the public health, uh, for the health department. Mm-hmm. And, um, I've written for the main publications in Australia. So there's two newspapers, Sydney Morning Herald and The Australian, and I write frequently for, for both of them. Well, at the moment I'm writing for The Australian, but um, I have, in mm. the past I have written for The Sydney Morning Herald. So that's basically me in a nutshell. A little, little, little bio. So I'm, I'm always <laughs> curious too. So I, I love me some psychology. My girlfriend, she's actually in grad school right now for social cool. work, but heavy in the psych, psychology realm. My mom is a psychologist, just psychology yeah. up in here. So curious, like what, what made you break away from the academia, the forensic psychology? Because that sounds interesting. I'm all about true it crime and stuff. So, <laughs> so what made you say? Forget that. I want to start writing, talking, do all, doing all this other stuff. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Well, I, you know, I actually was always interested in writing. And when I went to university, uh, straight out of high school, I studied English. And I wanted to be a Shakespearean scholar. But the English department was infected with this postmodernist way of looking at the world. Mm-hmm. which I didn't like. And I just wanted, I thought I wanted something that I wanted to study a discipline that seeks to understand the world as it is. And mm-hmm. rather than a, a discipline that is uh, about indoctrination. So that's why I went into psychology. But the problem is for me, that is that I'm not a whiz at statistics. Like I'm oh, yeah. competent <laughs> enough you know, I really busted my ass to reach basic competency level, but I could never, I could never really master statistics at a high level. And to be a researcher in psychology, you need to be, you, you just need a quantitative mind that I don't have. Mm-hmm. And so there was always this tension. Like I found psychology very interesting. I was never going to be a good clinical psychologist because I don't have enough sympathy for people. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I do, but it's like, come on, man, just uh, get over it. Get out of bed. (laughs) (laughs) You need a healthy diet, like just snap out. Like I I do have sympathy for people. It's not that I'm cold hearted, but it's just, you know, I I love ideas and, Mm. um, you know, and I went into forensic psychology because I thought, hmm, I'm going to get some great material to write about. Yeah. And then I thought, well, well, you know, that's not really the best reason for being a psychologist. So really, if I want to be a writer, I've just got to be a writer. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard to make money as a writer in this day and age. So I thought I've got to establish some kind of business to give me a shell to support mm-hmm this activity, which is what I did with Colette. And it's surprisingly worked. Yeah. So let me ask you this, because the, the, the postmodernism conversation comes up a lot. And I'm, yeah. and I don't know if I'm looking at postmodernism wrong, right? But I, yeah. I, I, I'm curious about this aspect, right? So postmodernism, it seems like kind of like, oh, everything's like our reality is subjective and all this other stuff, right? But you being, you know, with a background in psych- psychology, like, for example, I'm a recovering drug addict and something I realized is that I have a screwed up mental filter. When stuff comes yep. in, it, it processes funky and it affects me in a certain type of way. But so, for example, when we're talking about the culture wars, which we'll dive into in a little bit, a lot of yeah. this is based on feeling, right? Our, yeah. our experience, right? So I'm, I'm curious because we do know that people are experiencing things like, like if you said something to me, I'm not going to get offended, right? But if you said that same thing to someone else, 
they might get really offended. So anyways, what I'm asking is, is where's that, where's that separation between postmodernism and yes, we do each have subjective experiences. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I suppose the way I look at it is through the lens of what you would call epistemology, how we Mm. know what we know. And it's actually an, it's an empirical fact that humans have uh, biases. We have mental filters. That's just, that's true. That's truth. But a postmodernist would argue that there is no such thing as objective truth. Mm. And our mental filters aren't necessarily a product of our mind, our, you know, our, our biological organic mind and our mm-hmm. thinking style. They might argue that, well, we can't really know what creates the mental filter or the bias. Maybe it's mm. language. Maybe it's because you're interpreting the world through language and it's the words themselves or it's the reality that is fluid. Yeah. And so it just takes it to another level. <laughs> yeah. And okay. where you really can't ever nail down the truth. So at least if you acknowledge, at least from an empirical point of view, you can acknowledge that reality exists, there is such a thing as the real world. It's hard to know what's real because our minds can be unreliable. Yeah. And we have all of these filters that we have to compensate for and whatever. But there still is such a thing as reality. Yeah. Our reality is not shaped by, through language. It's not mm-hmm. created out of thin air by culture. Like there is, there are rocks and there are trees. Yeah. And biology is real. It's not something that we've invented, but with human culture. Yeah. And that's the empirical way of looking at the world. And most of us are in, just intuitively empiricists, like, it's the natural state of looking at the world, mm-hmm. but it's only when you become trained and you go to university and you become trained in these fancy philosophical theories that you start to say, oh, hang on, language creates the world. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes, that makes sense. So it, it's almost like the postmodernist. It, it kind of goes a little bit too far because I've been, for example, yeah. I, I love like philosophers of science, right? Like I yeah, recently reread yeah. uh, Lee McIntyre's book, uh, The Scientific Attitude. I love Jonathan Rausch's book, The Constitution of Knowledge and Kindly Inquisitors, where he talks about how like knowledge and truth, it's something that we come to together. Like nobody has yeah. this like, you know, this uh, monopoly on truth. I like that. But yeah, but yeah there is a reality. Like there are things yeah, based yeah. in reality that we can, yeah. that we can and have to agree on. So yeah, that that does make sense, that kind of separation. So um, okay, so now let's get back to the juicy stuff. So Quillette, right? So yeah. I only learned about you and the Quillette in, in, in the last, you know, year or so. And I'm like, okay. And then like, as I'm like reading and researching, because I, like I said, I don't really get offended by anything, but I'm like, oh, wait, yeah. there are people who like get pissed off at like some stuff that Quillette has written or maybe some things that Claire or some of the writers have said. So what, what happened? Like, we're like, where did that happen in the history of Quillette? Were you guys like, trying to be provocative or just bringing up topics that other people weren't discussing, or you took this kind yeah. of like different view, like give it, uh, you know, give me a little history on that. Cause I'm curious. Yeah. So it comes from the inception of Quillette. So because I was a psychology graduate student, I was interested in how people think and how they behave. And one of my main interests years ago when I founded Colette was psychological sex differences. Mm. So, uh, you know, years ago, feminism was like super, not popular, but it was like this huge concern of, you know, in media, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't open a newspaper or go online without reading all sorts of articles about gender and feminism was sort of all the rage five, Mm. six or seven years ago, you know, when we had uh, websites like Jezebel and that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And 
I, I became very skeptical of the assumptions and narratives that were central to a lot of feminist art arguments. I was skeptical of the notion that there is such a thing as the patriarchy. I was skeptical of the notion that uh, the, pay, the, the gender pay gap exists because women are oppressed by men. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was skeptical of this idea that men and women are basically the same on, on matters of sex. It's just socialization that makes us make different choices. Mm-hmm. So I, I took, I, I read a lot of evolutionary psychology. Love me some evolutionary I, psychology. Yeah, yeah. And I took a more, I, I took a, a, an approach that was more informed by evidence coming out of evolutionary psychology, uh, biology, neuroscience, and the other empirical sciences. And I uh, pushed back on narratives that were informed by social constructionism. And so that was like a, that was a main interest of mine. And under, underpinning that interest is this idea that the modern, our modern culture or the modern, particularly the modern left, um, has a blank slate view of the human mind, which is that we're basically all born the same. But it is human culture that writes on our mind mm-hmm. and creates who we are, whether it's our personality or our sexuality or our uh, gendered behavior or whatever. Now, I've always uh, been complete, like I've always been a, a skeptic of the blank slate view and mm-hmm. I'm more of a, a proponent of the view that we actually have innate human nature. We're mm-hmm. born with it and uh, the way we maximize or express our human nature or our phenotype, you know, it's, you know, culture affects that and it influences it. But underneath it all is, is an innate human nature, a pre-wired, not a hardwired, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I mean, like an, like an example, a concrete example would be you know, like I'm a heterosexual woman, but my level, my sex drive is not as high as my husband's. He has a male sex drive. Mm-hmm. It's influenced by testosterone. I'm a female. I don't have as much testosterone as he does. And that means our sex drive is different. Like that's just a common sense way of looking at uh, human behavior in, that is not a, a, a blank slate view whereas a feminist way of looking at it might be that well my sex drive is not as high as someone with high amount of testosterone because i've been socialized yeah. to be more um chaste or whatever because society frowns upon women with very rampant sex drives you know like something yeah. along those lines whereas i would argue that it's because of biology yeah so let me let me ask you this. So when it comes to these uh, these conversations, like um, and and this kind of dips into like the the uh, the culture war type things. Do you think like uh, as a woman, like I'm asking, like do you think that that puts you like in a uh, or puts women in a like a victim mentality? Like for example, I use my experience, and and sometimes I get in trouble for stuff like this, like. For example, I was born to an alcoholic mom. She was an alcoholic until I was 20. I ended up becoming an alcoholic and a drug addict. You know, I had a bad childhood. I ended up becoming an addict. But then at a certain point, I had to realize I can make decisions and I can yeah. work on my mental health. I can, you know, start being a father to my son. I could be a productive member of my society. But if I just said I'm a victim of circumstance, I might have stayed exactly where I was. So I have, you know, when I'm working with other drug addicts or alcoholics or whoever, I try to get yeah. them out of that victim mentality. So I guess that's what I'm asking because it's it seems like that's that might be what the concern is. Like you're a parent too, right? Like do you have kids? Yeah, boys, girls, boy. Oh, you so you got you got both the sexes, right? And yeah. that's my concern, right? Like as a father, I'd be concerned yeah. of, hey, hey, Dylan, you know my son. Like I've explained to him, like he's thirteen. Like with college, I'm like, hey, 
no matter how hard you work, there might be people with more money than you and I got, and they might be able to go yeah. to a better school, especially here in the United yeah. States where it's all around. Yeah. <laughs> so I explained yeah. that to him, but I never want him to think, oh, well, society is just keeping me down, so I might as well not Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, that's is, right. is, that, is that where the concern comes from, like this victim mentality, or is it something else that, you know, creates a bigger narrative that you're more worried about and you feel like it needs to be pushed back against? Uh, you know, I don't... I, I do worry about those things exactly, exactly as you describe. I don't like, uh, I don't think victimhood narratives help anybody. And, um, you know, the, one of the most important things for developing mastery is feeling like you have a sense of agency, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But I think knowledge, I think the truth is important because just for its own sake and you know I, I i honestly do think that there are our societies have significant problems and we need to work out ways to solve them but we can't solve them if we don't understand the problem yeah and we just have to have rational evidence-based perspective if we're going to to solve problems otherwise you might be thinking we're solving a problem, but we're making it worse. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, like the, I mean, feminism is a good example. You know, this idea that in Australia, there's this huge, there's this huge idea that um, domestic violence or violence against women is caused by sexist attitudes and, um, mm. you know, the patriarchy essentially. And I think that might be true. I think it might be a contributing factor sexism but i don't think it's i doubt it's the main factor and i i think other variables such as alcohol are mm. completely overlooked yeah. and if we're thinking about vulnerable communities like indigenous communities you know things like availability of alcohol are going to have a much bigger impact on things like rates of family violence than yeah. something like the patriarchy <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And it's like, you just, if you want to solve problems, you just need to have, you need to understand the problem and yeah. not look at it through an ideological lens. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, yeah, that that's why sense. I, yeah. But, you know, at the same time, I'm not an activist and, and I'm not going around trying to solve problems. I just think that it's better to know the truth, mm. better to seek knowledge rather than just simply seek convenient answers. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. it also it also seems because yeah, trust me, as as somebody who works like you know in addiction and stuff, yeah, like yeah. so many crimes, you there there's drugs or alcohol involved, you know. First off, <laughs> but but also as you were saying that, I was thinking of like opportunity costs, right? When we focus yeah. on the wrong problems, then that then we're yeah. taking away time from looking at the actual problems and all that. And I'm no fan exactly. of like data and statistics either, but <laughs> I, I feel like we're pulling people away from that to focus on the wrong things when we're kind of making yeah. up. Like, it's cool to have theories, but yeah. part of science is taking these theories <laughs> and seeing which one holds more weight. Um, yeah. Because, because yeah, there's a lot of uh, other things going on, but uh, you know, speaking of Australia, I'm curious, um, because I, I don't know. I don't know if this is like an American thing, but I barely know of anything going on in other countries. And I feel like yeah. America is just always on full display. I don't know. Maybe I'm just self-conscious about this insane country. But like, do you, uh, how do you see like the, uh, what are the differences and similarities? Like I'm dying to know between like left versus right. Like, for example, all the stuff going on in Canada, or sometimes I see stuff in the UK. I'm like, oh, you have the same type of people there that we have here and that's really yeah. interesting so how what what kind of like similarities and differences do you see with like the left versus right or even on these cultural social topics yeah well so australia the, the main difference i would say i mean there are lots and lots of differences we, and we have a crazy hard left <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like there is a crazy hard left in uh the UK and Canada and, and America, but I would say the main difference is that we have a, we have a strong center mm -hmm. and, uh, I don't see a, a, a big center in the United States. It seems to be quite bifurcated where you're either on the left or on the right. 
and there isn't a whole lot of space in between, like where people can sort of just sit in the middle and be a bit of both. Yeah. Whereas in Australia, it's, um, uh, I, I, it's hard to know exactly why our centre is stronger, whether it's something to do with our political system or simply, I, I think a big factor might be that we're a very um, wealthy nation in terms of, it's not that we have a lot of billionaires. We don't. It's mm-hmm. like the middle class is very wealthy. Mm. So, um, you know, like your average person on the street has a lot of, like is making a fair bit of money and hat. we have things in Australia like um, super, we have this thing called superannuation where um, the government makes us put money into a retirement fund and then the retirement fund accrues compound interest. Mm. So like every person, that's compulsory, every person in Australia aren't, like has investments, whether they, like it's compulsory to have a, a, yeah. an investment portfolio. Um, at the same time, we have problems like our, you know, we have rising housing costs, like every country. Um, and it's, you know, we have this generational wealth issue where all of the old people have all of, all of the property and the younger people are locked out. Like that's a real issue. Yeah. Um, but in, gen- in general, things like having a social like we have a, a pretty good welfare net, healthcare, those sorts of things just mean that it, it's pretty, life is pretty easy going here. Like, mm. I mean, people still get caught in, 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 in bad situations, but um, in general, life is pretty easy and laid back. Uh, yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why we have, have a, a strong center. Mm. Um, yeah. So it, our inequality is low as well. So yeah. you, you must be, you'd be familiar with the Gini coefficient. Mm-mm. So it's like the difference between, so if you look at um, mean wealth and median wealth, if there's a big gap, it means that there's a huge gap between rich and poor. Mm. I think the Gini coefficient in Australia is like the lowest, one of the lowest in the, in the world. So yeah. Uh, there's not that much of a gap between rich and poor. Yeah. yeah. So things like that make a difference. Yeah. And no, and that would definitely make sense. I, I often look around in the United States. I'm like, everybody's so damn angry. But I think it's because yeah. a lot of people, like when you're stressing about how you're going to, you know, keep a roof over your head, put food on your table, health care, you know, yeah. all these things. And then and yeah. then it splits people up because, it's, you know, people are blaming different things. Yeah, Meanwhile. Yeah. Meanwhile, you have People Jeff Bezos. And yeah, they're yeah, doing fine. Yeah. And they like laugh at us that we're all fighting yeah. with each other and storming the Capitol like lunatics. But uh, <laughs> so so yeah. speaking of Australia, like one of the things that, you know, has been bubbling up, obviously, uh, is is you've been vocal about uh, kind of like the, the COVID policy in Australia, yeah. right? So this is another yeah. thing where I'm like trying to understand, but not in everything. So anyways, I'll give you the outsider perspective. Yeah. And we could probably talk about this for the rest of the time. But anyways, outside of perspective, it's like, I'm like, okay, Australia is taking this shit seriously, right? Like, that's the way I see it, right? And I wish the United States did. But, you know, like when people started seeing those videos of like the little like quarantine camps and all these other things, then I remember like there was like riots and stuff happening. I'm like, oh my God, what's going on? So, you know, you have people, uh, you know, like Tim Pool and all those people like, oh my God, it's a totalitarian state and everything. Yeah. But, but yeah, at, at the same time, I'm like, is it really that bad? Or are they just saying like, hey, be safe. Let's not spread COVID. And you're doing what you can. Yeah. Like we're, everybody in the world, we're trying to get through this thing and hopefully we're coming to the end of it. But anyways, what's, what's kind of got, you know, people coming after you lately is like, you've been like, hey, calm down. Australia mm. is not insane for what we're doing so what's what's it like and like i guess what are the misconceptions about what the last couple years have been like there you know yeah yeah so i mean i i think when thinking about australia the first thing to remember is that we're a huge country we're Mm -hmm. massive and 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 so when people are saying australia is under lockdown they really t- they we're not under lockdown anymore, by the way. <laughs> we haven't <laughs> been for a long time. But when we were, 
it was in it was in one major city, Melbourne, and uh, they did have a very harsh lockdown, which I and I think traumatic lockdown, and I think it was excessive. And the riots happened in Melbourne. And, sorry, and um, so I can't I can't off the top of my head. I, I don't have the figures in front of me. I don't know how long they were under the lockdown for, but it was something extreme, like six months. Yeah, it seemed like it was long, and that's why people were yeah. kind of getting a little antsy. Yeah, and it, and I think I do. So I was under lockdown too in Sydney, but not for the same length. And I found that I struggled psychologically, and so I can only imagine how bad it must have been for the people in Melbourne. But what was frustrating for us as Australians was seeing how Amer- uh, Americans were talking about the the entirety of Australia being locked down. It was one city, and it mm-hmm. was one one premier in particular who was pursuing a hard zero COVID strategy. His name was Dan Andrews, and the major like the majority of people outside of Victoria, which was the state that he's in, thought that what Dan Andrews was doing was excessive. Uh, now all, so, so, so my position was that what Victoria did, what Dan Andrews did in Victoria in Melbourne was excessive. It was draconian and, and it was an overreaction to COVID and the lockdowns were, were too harsh. Mm -hmm. So putting that aside, when Americans went nuts over (laughs) our supposed concentration camps, that was an entirely different issue in an entirely different part of the country. It was yeah. on the other side of the country in the Northern Territory. And what they were, rea- and, and so we had this mining accommodation at the top of the country and travelers. So for the, for basically the entirety of the pandemic, the policy is not in place at the moment, but from the start of the pandemic until sometime this year, if we closed our borders. And if you were traveling into Australia, you had to do 14 days of quarantine. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, this quarantine was done in hotels in the capital cities like Sydney, Melbourne, and elsewhere. Other countries have had similar policies where if you're traveling into the country, you have to go into quarantine. But in the Northern Territory, they had you didn't have to do the quarantine at a hotel. You could go to a mining accommodation, com- accommodation set up for miners who are mining whatever uh, it is. Is that like those little outdoor kind of bu- bunkers yeah. or what do yeah. they call like bungalow yeah. type deals? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and so, so it was for travelers coming into the country voluntarily. Now, okay, so there was that, the, the, there was that accommodation set up now. The Northern Territory successfully kept COVID out of its borders for like 18 months or something. They have remote Aboriginal communities in the Northern Territory. These are Aboriginal people who don't live yeah, like the, the way normal city folk live. They live in, uh, you know, in some cases they have like 20 people, you know, in one, one bedroom kind of shack kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And they're very vulnerable to infectious diseases that their immune systems have never seen before. Yeah. Now, anybody who knows any kind of history about colonization knows that when Westerners come with their infectious infectious diseases, they can wipe out entire indigenous Mm. populations, let alone communities. And so the Northern Territory government was particularly hypervigilant about COVID getting into these remote Indigenous populations because they would be wiped. They could have been wiped out. And then it would be, we've got a genocide on our hands kind of thing. Like that would be Mm. the the media narrative. It's like they've let COVID get in and now the Indigenous people have been genocided. So what happens, what happened is, is COVID got into some Indigenous remote communities in the Kimberley, the Northern Territory, the elders of those communities said, we've got to isolate the COVID positive people or the people who have been exposed. So we're going to get help to move these people into the, uh, the mining accommodation, the Howard Springs camp. So they got help with 
uh, transportation. And so some people went into the um, quarantine for 14 days and then they left. And that was it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, not too crazy. <laughs> but, and, but it's like, oh my God, they're forcing indigenous people into quarantine yeah. camps, concentration camps. You know, like it's this atrocity that's happening. It would have been an atrocity if they didn't do yeah. that. Yeah, no, no, that makes that makes total sense. And that's that's why I just advocate for people to get full context and stuff. Like, yeah. I just have a personal philosophy of not having very strong opinions on something until I'm fully educated, right? Like right yeah. now, the whole Russian Ukraine thing, like, I don't have any comments on it because I'm still trying to learn what the hell's going on. But anyway, yeah. what's crazy, yeah. maybe you notice this too, Claire. What's nuts yeah. is I'll, I'll, I'll talk some trash on my fellow Americans, right? Like mm. Australia's huge. Like everybody should have access to a map or a globe or whatever. Australia's huge. But even in the United States, things differ state by state, right? Like I'm in yeah. Nevada, I'm near the West, right? If you yeah. If you go to the South or even a few states over to Texas, it's very different than what we have yeah. here. So what you're yeah. saying is it was a it was really restricted, maybe an overreach in one area. Yeah, I don't yeah. know why it's so hard for an American to grasp, like to say, oh, maybe Australia is kind of like America where two places are different. And I'm yeah. like, I, I just I, I just don't get why people can't come to that, that kind of logic. But yeah, but um yeah so so going into this like because yeah i've seen you know some of the twitter battles and stuff like that and everything and and i'm curious and i'll, I'll circle back a little bit to quillette because here's my theory yeah. and you, you correct me if i'm wrong so it seems like there were uh publications or even uh you know, people of influence like yourself who gained popularity with a certain crowd and this kind of COVID thing, we've seen this like fracture, right? Yeah. Like yeah. Uh, I've seen people say like, oh, Claire, you're changing, you're changing. And I've seen <laughs> you talk about like the hive mind and the tribalism. And that's, uh, that's something I'm fascinated with. Like uh, I got yeah. canceled back in 2019 and I'm like, what the hell's going on? And then I yeah. got into politics. I'm like, oh shit, this is part of human behavior. Right. Yeah. And it's, yeah. weird how people don't notice it but but yeah so anyways so i guess what i'm asking is like do you see that happening like you brought in a certain audience people yeah. for example like there's a certain type of people who are like yeah the feminist thing that they're talking about is wrong yeah, yeah. and then they come yeah. in and then all of a sudden like covid pops up or trump pops up or whatever and they 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 encapsulate all these different beliefs that come along with that territory or that tribe so yeah, now they think yeah. that you've changed, even though you've yeah. held on to the same values or same morals yeah. and you're just the same old Claire. So yeah. is that is that what happens like when uh when when that audience turns against you? Do you think that's what it is or yeah, no, it's it's definitely a real thing at what you're observing, but I'm not sure. Like I would have to really dig drill down into some data to understand what's going on. And I'm not sure that many people who have turned against me would have ever really read Quillette's articles. Yeah. Like the foot, the whole article. <laughs> right. Just maybe like, scammed if we're lucky. I yeah. mean, it's, I could be wrong, but I am, I'm, my impression is that there's a lot of people on Twitter who will retweet articles retweet tweets so they'll they might retweet articles without ever without reading them mm -hmm. just on the basis of a headline or a single quote and they will agree with me on issues so like obviously i push back against sort of mainstream narratives on gender and to some degree race i suppose although i don't talk about race very much at all but i have published writers who have push back against mainstream narratives on, mm -hmm. on racial issues. And, um, because I've pushed back against mainstream, mainstream narratives on things like gender, race, class, and maybe even climate change to some degree, they have expected me to push back against the mainstream narrative on COVID. Which is and, nuts, right? Well, uh, that's the expectation. <laughs> yeah. But, well, then I realize is that. You know, I, in my pre, in a previous life, I actually worked for the health department 
And then after I worked for the health department, I worked for um, the National Center for Immunization Research. Mm. So I was like a propagandist <laughs> for yeah. vaccination. Like I've always been really interested in vaccines and I've always had an interest in public health. And at, at, in a previous life before Quillette, I actually wanted to use, I actually wanted a career in in um, public health. So I, mm. I just have me, like I'm, I'm with the establishment on COVID and I just don't, I just don't buy into conspiracy theories that there's like a grab power and that the, there's this world economic forum who's trying to implement some kind of dystopia. Like I don't buy into any of that. Yeah. I just think leaders are like, fuck, we've got a pandemic. This sucks. Like, what are we going to do about it? Yeah. And, and I'm just, I just don't, I, I, yeah, I just don't agree with, um, with that the contrarian or the anti-establishment yeah 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 so so one of the reasons why i i was like that's nuts like i i wrote i wrote about this on my Substack a little while ago and it was mainly when i saw someone like jordan peterson doing this right because yeah okay like you mentioned like you know you've you've you know, written pieces pushing back on like some of the conversations around sex and gender, right? And then yeah. some of the conversations around race, you've published some ashes around that. So we're talking about sex, race, and people are like, cool, I'm with that. And then yeah. how did COVID science get lumped into that? Like, these are yeah. completely different things and we're supposed to have different opinions on different things. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. I, 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 something I want to ask you since, you know, you've been kind of bringing up this kind of like tribalism and hive mind and everything. Do you see, and we, we don't have to name names if you don't want to, right? But do you see people uh, who are, you know, mouthpieces and have followings and stuff like that? Do you see them just kind of realizing what's on the, the checklist for what their group believes and just going along with it and then kind of denying the reality of the situation? But a follow-up to that, since I'm fascinated with self-deception, do you think they know mm -hmm. they're doing that? Or do you think they mm -hmm. really buy into it and believe it like as their mind got to a place where they're like drinking their own kool-aid you know what i mean yeah yeah no that's a good question you know to be honest um there's this term that's used a lot uh the term of grifter <laughs> and yeah. i've been called a grish i've been called a grifter but you know and i i've probably thought thought that some people are Christians at some point, but for the main part, I think most people believe believe what they're saying. And I, I, I think one thing that's going on that we don't fully understand is we don't know how social media changes the way people think. Yeah. Like this is unknown. We're all guinea pigs in an experiment. Like we're yeah. all like little rats in some experiment. And we're all on this kind of drip feed of reinforcement, which is the Twitter likes and the retweets. We're all, yeah. it's like, imagine we're all, and all of us who are on Twitter, we're all in this like cage and there are big scientists with like white lab coats looking over us and they're re giving us reinforcement to do things with like mm -hmm. likes and retweets. We don't know yet how that changes behavior and behavior changes the way we think. Um, and I, I worry that social media is changing the, changing people's fundamental attitudes towards, uh, well, changing the way people view the world. Like if mm -hmm. you, if you start down a, if you're, if you're contrarian, if you start questioning mainstream narratives on a certain topic and you start voicing your concerns or your skepticism and you get a whole bunch of reinforcement for that. And then you start to be skeptical and contrarian on another topic and you get a whole bunch of reinforcement for that. Like when, when does it end? Like when yeah. you can keep going and doing that over and over and over again till mm -hmm. you're this extraordinarily famous guru kind of person. But we don't know if you, like, we don't know if a person would have gotten to that point without that reinforcement. Yeah. If they, like, they might not have gotten to that point without all of this social kind of validation. Yeah. So I, I, it's an open question. We just don't know if Twitter is changing the way people think and if yeah. whether people would have gotten to that place organically if it, if it weren't 
if they weren't being pushed in that direction by their audience. Yeah, no, it's interesting to think about it. And and yeah, if you want to jump back into psychology, let's do some research together because I'm kind of curious <laughs> about it too. No, uh, because you're, you're right. Like if we think even 10, 15 years ago, if you wrote an article, right? Like how, what kind yeah. of reinforcement did you get? Maybe maybe if someone wanted to go through the effort, they can like send a letter. Uh, maybe like in the 90s, you might get an yeah. email. But now there's that reinforcement. And I know from my own personal experience of being on YouTube, like, there were videos that I could put out where I'm like, I know this one's going to get 10 times more views than my other ones, just because yeah. I talked on this topic. I said something that a lot of people agree with. So we know that. And, and yeah. once that starts happening, like that's kind of what got me into some hot water at one point because I kept doing it and I overdid it. Yeah. Right. But also one of the reasons I'm fascinated with just evolutionary psychology is when I got canceled and had hundreds of thousands of strangers coming after me, I'm like, why is this affecting me so much? And we're yeah, like, yeah, we're yeah. hardwired to want to be yeah. part of the group, get kudos yeah. from the group. And yeah. it, it psychologically messes us up when the group's like, hey, you're a piece of shit. So we're encouraged to kind of do that. So let me ask you this. And, uh, you know, I was going to ask you, like, how does how does Claire just not give a fuck about what people think but but we all do to an extent yeah, right yeah. like right yeah. now as we're recording you're taking a little twitter break right but how yeah. do you and this is you know an advice for me too because i'm always trying to like be authentic to myself and not say things just to pander but what what helps you say things and not just go along with what you know would get you the likes or retweets because for example like speaking out against some of those people that you have on twitter yeah yeah like you must have known yeah. in your head, like I'm gonna yeah. get some shit for this. Right? <laughs> so, what kind of pushes you forward? How do you how do you do that and stay authentic and stay sane? Uh, because you have you have a family yeah. to take care of too, so we can't yeah, go nuts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, to be honest, it's a struggle, and 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 I'm learning as I go. And I I, I think you know, to be honest, <laughs> I just say what comes into my head because I'm impulsive. <laughs> And I pay the price later. Like I don't, if I'm tweeting at, if I'm like tweeting at someone like Tim Pool, I don't think, hmm, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this. I'm just like, motherfucker, <laughs> I'm just going to say it. And then I realize after the fact that, oh, I've like really put my, like I really entered a hornet's nest. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I've always struggled to not, I, I, I've never really, had much like I can be diplomatic and I can be strategic if the con if the situation calls for it but I've always pretty much spoken my mind mm -hmm. and um I don't know I I I I don't really care like I do I I don't feel good when I'm being attacked and mobbed on Twitter but I I have always sort of been a person that cares more about what I think of myself than what yeah. other people do. Like if I was to be dishonest and to become an anti-vaxxer because it, it, make, it might make a lot of money, mm -hmm. like I would feel, I wouldn't be able to look myself in the mirror. Like I would feel so dirty and ashamed. Yeah. So for me, like having an internal sense of feeling good about myself and in alignment with my own values is like really important. Mm -hmm. And whenever I've been, disaligned with my own values like whenever I'm behaving in a way that doesn't match up with my own sense of identity like I I can't handle it so I have to come yeah. back to my own values like I just have a really strong sense of internally of what's right and wrong yeah and you know I just I just know that people like yeah it's just a hive mind and you know you're going to be unpop you're going to get you're going to be popular sometimes and then you're going to be unpopular at other times and you just sort of have to not let it affect you too much and yeah yeah because that's that's a whole breaks. that's a whole other thing we need to start researching is how do you deal like we weren't wired to have hundreds of thousands of strangers yeah just coming after us it's like yeah. it's like imagine you know like when it when it happened to me like now i'm you know I, I kind of went to the background a little bit but like imagine standing in like a a, a sports arena and everybody yeah. is screaming at you and that's only like and that's only like half the people, you know, you, you have to double yeah. that. But um, yeah, yeah it's, it, it's, it's fascinating. It's, yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. And so I, when I, so for example, when I, when I got canceled and I, I 
was talking with my therapist. She didn't even know what to say. She's like, wait, what? What happened? <laughs> I didn't, like, like we need a whole field of therapists who are like trained yeah. in like how to deal, uh, help with people who have like, yeah, yeah, the mob come after you. But when, so when you're doing this, I like, I, I have to ask, I don't know how transparent you could be about this, but like, you're like the face uh, of Colette, right? So yeah, like, yeah. You know, uh, a lot of people have been brought in because of certain pieces from the Quillette, even if they were just reading yeah. the headlines, right? And it's a business, yeah. business needs money, you have employees and stuff. Like, does that become a concern? Like, oh crap, like, am I going to be pushing away part of my audience? Or are you of the mindset of, we want a certain type of audience, right? We want people who value like the truth and science, even if it they don't like it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's it. Good question. And I think if I was a bit more of a shrewd business person, <laughs> I, I would have quit Twitter a while ago rather than just now. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I think that actually being outspoken on Twitter has cost me a little bit in, in the financial and business sense. And, but that's learning. Like that's a learning experience. I'm, even though I've been doing Colette for five, six years now, I'm still a novice when it comes to business and mm -hmm. I'm learning as I go. And yeah, so me being the face of Colette has been beneficial for a long time because it helps if you're, if you're challenging left-wing orthodoxies, it helps to be like a female, <laughs> not a white male. Yeah. Uh, so it's been beneficial, but it might, I might, we may have gotten to the point where it's no longer, it's not really that beneficial, at least in some chat on some channels. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I'm, I'm going to take, like, I might take a step back, mm -hmm. but you know, it's different. It's, it's actually quite difficult to get a complete picture of your audience just from social media. So there's a lot of people who read Quillette who aren't on social media and mm -hmm. who subscribe to us via email or come to our website directly. Mm. So there's a, a huge chunk of people who aren't on social media and are completely oblivious to some yeah. of these social media controversies. Yeah. Uh, and so we can't, like, I, I have to be mindful that I don't forget about those people. Like they're my audience too. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and, and they're also the kind of people who aren't going to be bothered by any kind yeah. of social media drama as well. Yeah. I, I think that's something a lot of us forget about. Like, you know, like when you're, when you're on Twitter or something like that, that's like your world, you know, it's almost yeah. like when you're like in, in high school, right? Like that's yeah. your entire world. But then yeah, you realize yeah. like, oh, there's a lot of people, like I have a lot of people who sign up for my newsletter and they're never on Twitter or anything. Yes. They're like, wait, what happened? Yeah. And stuff like that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there's people who are like, wait, no, a lot of people are like, wait, you were canceled? And yeah, yeah, there's so many people who don't even know. I'm like, oh, okay, that, that's cool. So I have a little bit more of your time. So let's talk about kids, Claire. So. Yeah. I, have a 13, I have a 13 year old boy. How, how old are your kids? Eight and five. Eight and five. Okay, cool. So maybe you're not even worrying about this stuff yet. But anyways, my number one goal, my number one goal, because I'm always like, man, what if my kid like turns into like some crazy, like Trump supporting type right wing, like person yeah. or whatever, you know, and like, what if he yes. like, you know, all these different things that I disagree with. But my number one goal as a parent, I'm like, I just want my son to be armed with critical thinking skills so he can make decisions like so if he were to one day support the whoever the future trump is he came to it by making good decisions looking at the information and i could be like okay like you yeah. made you 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 assessed everything so anyways as a parent because sometimes i get very like pessimistic i'm like this whole generation we're fucked Let's hope for the new <laughs> generation. Maybe they can yeah. like be better thinkers. So what what are you trying to do as a parent to help your kids or as they get older? What what do you want to teach them so they can not become like conspiracy theorists or like yeah, or, you know, yeah. super out there? Yeah. Like what 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 do you think parents can do or what's your strategy coming up? Yeah, no, that I I haven't yet thought about that deeply because my kids are quite young. Mm -hmm. Um, what I, one thing that I, that I think about is, so like I, I grew up in a economically under, economically disadvantaged environment, I suppose. Like, I'm not going to say poor, 
because we ne- like my mum was always able to put food on the table. Like we weren't yeah. poor, but it, you know, single income disadvantage compared to compared to a lot of people. You know, like we never, I never went, I didn't go overseas for the first time until like my mid twenties. Mm. Um, so, and, and my kids have a different a different experience like compared to my childhood they live a very privileged economically privileged life and i i think about like how do i inoculate them against having like a a sense of entitlement Mm -hmm. like how do i prevent like because i i think that my upbringing benefited me like i i'm able to not take things for granted and i don't have that i don't necessarily have like and i worked hard you know and so how do I get my kids to, to understand the value of hard work? Mm-hmm. I, I honestly don't know, but my approach is to give them different perspectives. So I try to, I try to, um, explain that they're, the, the way they grew up, they are growing up wasn't how I grew up. You know, there is a whole world out there of people who don't have the advantages that they have that don't have the privileges that they have mm-hmm. like i constantly remind them and but i think you also have to show them so um just giving giving your kids different experiences and being able to look at the world through different perspectives whether it's mm. through like when i say travel i don't mean international travel but even just traveling around parts of the country yeah, and seeing yeah. like less fortunate parts and then like just being able to see like people live differently and, you know, you can always find there's always upsides and downsides to any kind of situation. And then when it comes to politics, well, I do, I try not to indoctrinate my son, like my daughter's too young, but I don't, I don't tell him what to think, but when he comes to me with questions, I'll just try and give a balanced answer but without pontificating about any particular point of view like this is how it is this is just like you just have to try and guide your kids into understanding that the world is complex and there are no simple answers it's not black and white like the world is really fucking messy and complex and you just have to be aware of what you don't know yeah but then you know and then i just have to watch what he watches on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. You know how many parents don't do that, right? Like I yeah, see so many yeah. parents freak out. They're like, oh my God, these YouTubers. I'm just like, why do you not monitor what your kids are watching? <laughs> you know? Yeah, but, there's a lot of garbage. Yeah. Yeah. So so I have just a, a couple more minutes of your time. So last, last question, speaking of YouTube, what is or will be your social media policy with your kids because sometimes i'll be honest i think that there's a little too much fear mongering about social media uh i think i've i've taught my son well like my son hopped on tiktok he's like this is messed up he deleted it himself i didn't even tell him I'm like okay yeah you're figuring this stuff out right but anyways uh, i i'm curious because you've seen the dark sides yeah. of the internet and yeah. i worry about you know just you can get canceled in your school now you know what i mean yeah, so yeah so what are your thoughts on, on social media for, for kids or how are you going to navigate that? Um, a, I think it's a bit too, like I, I haven't got a strategy in mind yet, but my son, so my son has told me to get off Twitter, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> so he understands that and, and he's, he's, he's heard, heard, overheard me talking about you know, the downsides of Facebook and not just personally, but societally. <clears throat> mm-hmm. But I think that, uh, you know, I'm going to just encourage, encourage certain channels. So I think like um, instant messaging amongst kids, like mm. it's totally cool. Um, you know, it's, not, it's just that some, some channels are healthier than others. Like I think yeah. Snapchat is like probably one of the healthiest because it disappears, it's fun, it's somewhat creative. Yeah. Whereas something like, um, and it's private, whereas something like Instagram, particularly for girls, like I think may exacerbate feelings of insecurity. Mm. But if you're just sending like private messages, it's ephemeral, it disappears. That seems probably like the least, the, the least risky yeah. and also 
potentially fun because you want your kids to have fun. Yeah. Yeah, I want my kids to have fun and to have friends. It's just you want them to do it in a way that's not going to exacerbate the anxieties and the the stuff that Mm -hmm. they have to go through as teenagers. Um, And I I suppose just picking the chat, like picking the apps that that are the least harmful is is how I'm going to do it. Like encouraging use of those ones rather. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. These are, these are things that are always on my mind. I'm like, I need to ask other parents about this. But- oh, and, the, and, the other, and another app I don't think is that dangerous is Reddit. I think Reddit is cool. Really? Yeah. yeah. Huh, I haven't even thought about that. Yeah. No, that would be good too. Because it encourages yeah. writing too, and you could get yeah. long form and everything. Uh, yeah. yeah I, I, I always hop like on and then off Reddit. It gets very confusing for me for some reason, yeah. just the way like they put out the threads and stuff. But I dig yeah. that. Because my son likes to research things. I'm like, hey, Reddit, people love answering and, questions. And, and one of the reasons why I like Reddit is because you can be anonymous on it. Ah, that's good. Well, most do. people are, yeah. Yeah, very cool. Well, Claire, this, this has been just super fun. I'm so glad that we were finally able to do this. So, Claire, uh, yeah. so you're taking a little Twitter break. But for everybody out there, where, where, can, they find, where can they find you? Or should they just go to the uh, Colette? And do you have... Any projects in the works? Are you ever going to write like a book for us to read and see your thoughts on the world and the internet and everything like that? Lay it on. Yeah, us. no, I, 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 I will. Uh, it, it's not in the pipeline immediately, but if I, I'm going to be doing more writing for Quillette now that I, I'm off social media, and <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you can find me at Quillette. I also write for the Australian, but that's behind a paywall, so it's better to just go to Quillette. And I do a weekly newsletter where I write an editorial note, but I'm going to be doing more columns mm. for Quillette. So that, watch out for me there. Beautiful. All right. Well, awesome. Well, I will, I will be personally looking out for that. So Claire, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. We'll, we'll do, we'll, we'll do this again. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Claire. Uh, yeah. <laughs> she has a lot of you know uh interesting takes i i really enjoyed talking with her i i really really enjoyed learning more about australia fun fact about me i have always wanted to go to australia uh, it's somewhere that's like on my list of places to visit as long as i don't get like attacked by a gigantic spider but yeah i love i i think it's so important because you know even with all like the the, the russia and ukraine stuff going on so many of us, and, and I don't think, you know, we necessarily have to travel because traveling is expensive. We, we, don't, we don't really see, like, the similarities between where we live and what's going on in other countries. So it's easy to look at a different country and think that things are totally different or insane, right? But uh, it's one of the reasons why I really enjoy, like, evolutionary psychology. Like, we, we evolve in similar ways and we value similar things. And like I was telling Claire, like, it's really interesting seeing other countries. They're like, oh you have those same types of people over there that we do here. So I think it's important that we learn about like the different nuances of of different countries, different cultures and everything, and not just English speaking countries. You know what I mean? So I love learning about that from Claire and, and yeah, uh, I liked hearing, you know, and and talking with her about kind of this, uh, this guru culture, this, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of strange things going on. So, so yeah, huge, huge thanks to Claire for coming on. Make sure you follow her over on Instagram and uh, Twitter. I've also linked uh, Quillette's social media, follow uh, them, check out some of their pieces. They're really interesting. They're great. So go ahead and check them out. All right. But before I let you go, make sure you're following me on Instagram and Twitter at the rewired soul. A couple things you could do to help out the podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation or any other conversation, share them on social media. Uh, that's huge. It gets the word out. Algorithms dig that. And the other thing the algorithms dig is if you head over to Apple Podcasts, leave a rating and leave a review. All right. Those two things are a great way to support the podcast. A thousand percent free. But some other ways you can help support the podcast. One, you can become a Substack subscriber, uh, a paid Substack subscriber. It's only five bucks a month. It's not too much. Price of a cup of coffee a month. You know what I mean? And you get early access to the regular episodes, like the ones with the authors that I usually release during the week. So not these bonus ones. So it's five bucks a month or 50 bucks for a year. You get early access to episodes and some other goodies I'm working on. Um, you can also head over to the rewiredsoul.com, grab some of the books that I've written. 
uh, on mental health, addiction recovery. Uh, I've also written a book about my experience getting canceled. And lastly, if you're somebody uh, like myself who wants to work on your mental health, there's an affiliate link down below for BetterHelp Online Therapy. It's a service that I've personally used. So if you're looking for affordable online therapy with a licensed therapist, check out BetterHelp down below. All right. But another huge, huge thanks to Claire for taking the time to come on. And I hope she enjoys her social media break. And yeah, for all of you, I have some more, uh, at least one episode coming for you this week so stay tuned and yeah other than that have an amazing rest of your day and i will see you next time